you move, we're no longer friends. <laughs> yes, I love Wisconsin. I was born and bred here. I grew up, I, went, I graduated from Brookfield East High School. And God has assigned me to uh, Fresno, California at this point in time. It's been a long time since I preached in Wisconsin, so I'm a little nervous. And, but I, I have been here and numerous times right where you're seated to listen to Dr. Aaron Cole. And he, a, a two week, was it two weeks ago, uh, was here and, um, at the Brookfield campus, actually. And, and um, I heard two, well, I heard one phrase that I've never heard in a sermon. In fact, I've never even thought of, of these words in a sermon ever before. And I heard them while he's preaching. Rock'em, sock'em robots. <laughs> who says that? And who, who makes it make sense? And also you use the term kale salad. In, you know, and, and it all makes sense when he's all done. He mixes it all together and it all, it all, turns, out, uh, it all turns out right. And I love Aaron and Tammy and their family so much so that we, that Johnny and I entrusted some of our most precious resources to them in both of our sons, DJ and Dawson, both interned here, Dawson most recently. And so uh, to put them under their wing and to let our, you know, sometimes your kids just got to have to get away to learn. And that's what, uh, that's what we did. So anyway, great to see you today. How you doing? Maybe you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 73. I go analog, but you can go digital. Doesn't matter. Psalm 73. The Psalms are songs. Songs of summer. That's why it's, it's a series on the Psalms. And so, therefore, Psalms are not designed to be deep doctrinal statements. It's more about the condition of the heart and, and how we can react to life. It's kind of the Hebrew mixtape, if you will. It's the greatest hits. So when we're reading from Psalms, we are reading lyrics to songs. And how a song is written is obviously different than how a letter is written. And so this is poetry that we're looking at in many, many ways. Now, in in popular culture, your feelings define you. You know, who, what, how you feel is who you really are. But the scriptures would approach it much differently because your feelings come from thoughts. And we know this, if your thoughts are off, your feelings are going to be off. And so the Psalms are about how not only to look at life, but how to handle and deal with the way that you're feeling. And so Psalm 73 is where we're going. So if you're, if you're not open there, we're, not going to read, we're going to read it in just a moment. And the reason this is important of how we feel is because of the fact that we know this. There are some crazy things happening in the world all around us at all times. But we feel like we can say, especially now, right? You look, you look at life and you just wonder, how can somebody walk into an elementary school or a grocery store and just start to shoot to kill people? How, how, does, that, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. Or when, a, when Russia's Putin will unprovoked now go into Ukraine and, and, and declare war against, 
against a nation that is not trying to make war and thousands are dead, millions are displaced. How, how do you process things like that? How do you see then, and then it, and then it gets even you know, just more silly when you th- see this, you know, 300 pound lazy underachiever win a $500 million lottery, right? <laughs> what are you gonna do? I'm gonna quit my job, I'm gonna pay off my truck, and I'm gonna buy a beer. You know, that's what they're gonna do with their $500 million. Just doesn't make sense. But then the, ex- then the experience gets personal. Just talked this week with a guy in our church that they, he and his wife have a nine-year-old beautiful little girl that has this rare brain tumor and within 12 months she's gone. How do you explain that? How do you process that? What are the feelings and the things that take place in your heart? How many of us have a story of miscarriage in our families? Because the reality that we have to deal with times is very difficult. George Barna and his group did did research, and at one point in time they said, if you could ask God one question that you know he would answer, what would you ask him? Guess what the first word of that question is. Say it. Why? Why? One reporter said, if the world is the product of intelligent design, then the designer has some explaining to do. Sheldon Van Auken, who wrote A Severe Mercy, atheist turned Christian, this is what he said. If only villains got broken backs or cancers, if only cheaters and crooks got Parkinson's disease, We should see a sort of celestial justice in the universe. But as it is, a sweet-tempered child lies dying of a brain tumor. A happy young wife sees her husband and child killed before her eyes by a drunken driver, and we soundlessly scream at the stars. Why? I do not enjoy the fact that life is not fair that there is injustice, there is evil, there is suffering. And the psalmist shows us that this can er at times erode our faith. So let's look at Psalm 73. Psalm 73 verse one says this, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he begins with a summary of the entire psalm, but he kind of, he gives us this impression that victory in life is more a condition of your heart than it is a condition of your circumstances in life. That's how he begins. Then he goes to verse two, but as for me, so now this is a story, he's gonna tell a story about himself, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. So he's talking about these unanswered questions, unmet expectations, and how that now starts to 
affect my trust in God. My feet are starting to slip. In the midst of all that I know, in the midst of all the facts that I have, I'm still struggling with a lot of things. I feel like my feet are on a slippery slope to the point where I'm losing my footing. He's talking about a battle for his very soul. His faith is impacted. The very purpose of my life may be impeded because of what I struggle with in trying to figure this all out, the struggles of life. And it makes sense to us, doesn't it? You just go, if another thing happens, I'm going to lose it. And what we really mean is we're going to lose maybe our faith, the victory that we want to have. Verse 3 says this. It's not on the screen, but it says this because he says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So now he tells us the genesis of his doubt and why he's struggling the way he is. For I envied the arrogant and I saw. So this is an experience, a personal experience he has. I experienced, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then all the way through verse 12, he talks about why he is doubting and why he feels like his foot is slipping and why he sees all the things that are going on around him that he doesn't like. That for, for the For the people that don't live for God, their life seems carefree. To sum it up, he's going, I'm living for God and my life really stinks and they aren't living for God and it seems as though their life is going the way mine is designed to go. Verse 9, they lay, their mouths lay claim to heaven. Or in other words, their mouths lay claim against heaven. They're talking like they're God. Like they know everything. Like they're in control of everything. And the problem is they look like they're living the blessed life. And I'm just trying to make ends meet and just trying to get through another day. They're evil, yet they're invincible. And people follow them and they have influence. It's discouraging, it's frustrating, it's aggravating. And I'm losing it because the fact that life is not fair and I don't understand why it's not fair. I don't understand it. That's what the psalmist is saying. And then it it comes to kind of a climax in verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says this. I have kept my heart pure for what? I've kept my heart pure for no reason. I have lived an innocent life for nothing. That to me right now, it all feels like a waste. It hasn't been what the brochure looked like. I see people who are following God and they're going through the worst of times and I see people who are rejecting God and life is going great for them. It's been a waste. Does it, it seems like it's been a waste. I've lived this righteous life, and it seems like it's all been for nothing. That's what Asaph is experiencing in the midst of this doubt, in the midst of this uncertainty, and we're not immune from this either, right? You take even giving and, and, and tithing and giving. You go, man, I'm, 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 I'm giving, and I'm giving sacrificial, and I just, I just don't, I, now we have to cut back. And, now we, and then it seems like people are just not doing anything to anyway to give to the church or to charity, and yet they're getting ahead, and their money is multiplying. Or this whole forgiveness thing. It didn't feel great when I forgave the person because retaliation would have felt really good. 
And the righteousness that I have lived has only brought me, it seems like pain and misery. That's the struggle he's going through. And friends, let me just tell you something. There are people that were here six months ago. There are people that, were, that went to this church two years ago that at some point in time there was an experience that they couldn't quite, they couldn't figure it out. It didn't make sense. And all of a sudden unmet expectations and the results of faith didn't meet what they wanted. And so therefore they're not going to be here this morning and they're not they're not even watching online anymore because of the fact that somehow it has disillusioned them and and they've quit their pursuit of God because that's what happens I was supposed to get the promotion but I didn't I wasn't the one that I was that was supposed to lose my job but I but I'm the one that lost my job and that Blankety blank kept it. My feet have almost slipped. Feel like falling. So you give up on your pursuit of God. You, you're smart enough not to give, abandon God, right? You're smart enough not to become an agnostic or an atheist. You're smart and you're too smart for that. But you don't, you don't abandon God. You abandon your pursuit of God going after him hard and strong. Then there's an interesting, can I, can I just have a little aside here just in the midst of this, his struggles? This is what he says, verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. In the midst of my struggles, in the midst of my doubts, in the midst of my uncertainty, if I would have spoken out, he's saying this, in the midst of all of the struggles of life, he had the wisdom just to keep his mouth shut. Thank you for being silent in this moment, right? Because he's not referring to sharing this with somebody so he can get a resolution to it. He's talking as though these people that have their doubts, have you ever noticed that the people that know the least talk the loudest? The people that that, that want to be experts talk like an expert, but they don't have any idea what they're saying, right? And this happens as well, that people get frustrated with life and now all of a sudden they just start rattling off and their opinion is, the, you know, no one has an opinion that is right other than theirs. And there's nothing more detrimental to faith than those who speak, who don't know what they're talking about, but act as though they are the expert. Because, friends, listen, our first conclusions in the midst of doubt and uncertainty are rarely accurate. It's just smart at times just to keep your mouth shut. Just shut it. Okay, you're going through this, but just close your pie hole, right? Think of Jericho. Think of Jericho. It's the last day. They're going to march now. They've marched on for the first six days, once, 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 once around. Now on the seventh day, they go around how many times? Seven times. Let's say it takes, they th thought it took about two hours to walk around. So this is going to be a 14-hour day. Do you remember the instructions that Joshua gives to all of these people of Israel as they're marching around Jericho on the last day? He says... We're, you're not going to say a word to one another. You are silent. And then at the end of it all, yeah, and then the walls come down. But he says, along the way, you don't talk. 
Why is that? Because this is exactly what it would have sounded like. All right, I'm gonna, I, I may walk out of the light here for a second, but the fact is, this is what it would have sounded like. The first time around is kind of cool, right? We've done this for six days, and I understand this. I know what this is all about, right? Second time around, oh boy, this feels different. Now it's a second time around. The third time around, now the conversations start, right? Hey, Herb, what do you think about all this? I think it's crazy. I think it's stupid. I don't think, we're, what, we're going to walk around and at the end of it we're going to yell, ah, and then the walls are going to come down. I don't believe it. Right? This is how the conversations go. And they would talk themselves out. How many times have we gone around? I'm dizzy. So, <laughs> right? By the time they got to the end and he asked them to shout, what does that shout sound like? If they've been able to talk. <sighs> right? Keep your mouth shut because all you're going to do is you're going to spread a cancer if you continue to talk. Yes, talking relieves one misery, but it causes another. He was smart enough just to be quiet. Verse 16 says, when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. This is inner anguish. Trying to figure it all out, it troubled me deeply. Having a hard time. This is because bitterness and anger is the easiest path to take, isn't it? Doubt and uncertainty is a rut that is so easy to stay in. Verse 17. Do you have it there? It'll be on the screen. This is what he says in verse 17. So his inner anguish, verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it didn't make sense. I couldn't reconcile the inequities of life with the character and the promises of God. I couldn't. It's too difficult. And then he says in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Let me ask you this. What does he do in the sanctuary of God? If he goes on and on, what does he do in the sanctuary of God? He goes to worship, right? Just like you've come today, you wouldn't necessarily call this a sanctuary, but because you are now the sanctuary as the temple of God, but whatever else. Till I entered this place where I was going to worship God. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. He has reengaged his pursuit of God. This is a deliberate action on his part. A deliberate choice. This is decisive. This is where it's all going to turn for him. Rather than looking at what does not make sense to get understanding, he goes to the place where he can make sense of it all. The presence of Almighty God. The simplicity of going to God. Because things look different when you're closer to Jesus. Amen? We have the tendency to look at the very things that don't make sense to gain understanding. 
We look at the very circumstances that are perplexing us to try to find understanding. You prayed for healing. You didn't get healing, so you look to the sickness to try to gain understanding. You have a, a part, business partner that you thought was a Christian, and now they have done so many things that have caused you to doubt, and you try to look at every angle of your relationship and of the business to try to gain understanding, and you're not going to gain any understanding there. Because nothing makes sense in the midst of this inner turmoil. And so now you have doubts. Now you have doubts. Now you have doubts. Now let me ask you this. Did those doubts simply come from thoughts? No, they did not. Those doubts, the inner anguish that you've experienced and I have experienced in the past, come from an experience that we have had. And that experience has then caused thoughts, and then those thoughts have produced doubts. Are you tracking with me right now? Yes? So it didn't come, you didn't think your way into the doubts. You experienced your way into the doubts. Here's my point. If it took an experience for you to get into the doubt and into the anguish and into the uncertainty, if that... you. You will not be able to think your way out of it. You need, if you took an experience to get in, it's going to take an experience to get out. And that experience is in the presence of God. Because you cannot gauge life by life. You can't understand life by looking at life because life is not the standard. It's the presence of God. It's getting into the word of God because whoever can separate you from this book will now bring uncertainty and doubt into your life. Whoever can separate you from this book now has the power over your destiny. You can't get answers to life from looking at life. The only place to make sense of it all is in the one who created it all, and that is God himself. And he starts to understand this, and this is what he says, verse 18, surely you place them on slippery ground. He goes, he realizes once he gets into the presence of God, it's not me on on a slippery slope, it's them on a slippery slope. All of a sudden, he's looking at life, and he's going, you know what? He says, God is not only just, God can be trusted. When he was trying to find, look what, I, 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 think, this is, I think this is funny. Verse 21 and 22, right? Verse 21 and 22. I don't think it's going to be on the screen. It says this. When my heart was grieved was, past tense, when my, heart, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Okay, this is what he... (laughs) Are you ready for this? What he's saying is, when I tried to figure out all of life by using life as the standard, when I tried to figure it out and tried to think my way through it, he says, I was like a big, fat, dumb cow. I was a big, fat, dumb cow. Have you ever been anywhere where there aren't fences along the road and then there's a herd of of cattle and what do they do? They go right into the road and you come up with a car and you honk and and what do they do? What do they do? They just stare at you going, why why are you here? That's, you know, right? They're a big, fat, dumb cow. 
right? They don't move because everything is about the present for them. Everything is about their current condition. And since they like their current condition, all your honking, all your yelling isn't going to do anything. You got to get out there and you got to push them off the road. Why? Because they're a big, fat, dumb cow. Because all they do is think about this moment and this present in this. They don't have a big picture. All they have is this moment. And when all you do is try to figure out life from life, all you're doing is living in the moment and you're not thinking in it. You don't see things in a bigger picture. Big, fat, dumb cow. Have you ever thought about saying that in a sermon? All right. Verse 23, yet I was a senseless brute, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. You hold me. You guide me. You take me. When life doesn't add up and things don't make sense, God comes along to to take us, to guide us, to hold us. I think possibly the reason our faith can't get us out of some of the predicaments of anguish that we are in is because we are looking for explanations instead of arms. Dawson, some of you know Dawson my youngest. Dawson, when he was a little boy, I remember the first time I took him through a car wash. Okay, he's a little boy going through a car wash. And the moment, you know, you get into a car wash, it's a bright Sunday day, and all of a sudden it gets dark and these things are attacking your car and he freaks out. He's freaking out. No, 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 no. He's just, he, he's, he's just, he, he, can't, he, can't, he can't process this, right? Now, thankfully, in that moment, I know enough that he doesn't need an explanation. Well, actually, Dawson, what is happening here is this machine is coming in, and it's actually, it's a soft scrub. It's not damaging the clear coat of the car. It's just, a, it's just soft scrub, and it's coming in, and it's going to clean the wheels. It's going to come in. It's going to put soap on the car. We're not going to be able to see out, but it's going to get clean. I don't explain it to him. All I do was I take him from the back seat, and I just put him in my arms, and I just hold him. And now he's okay because an explanation isn't going to do him any good. He just needs to be in the arms of someone he knows is going to protect him and keep him. Because any child knows that when you get into the arms of your parents, all terror just becomes adventure. Don't look for explanations. Just look for his presence to be with you 
and to guide you. The psalmist doesn't go into the presence of God to get rescuing. It's about him being held and guided and taken into glory. And listen to what he says now, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Compare that to verse 13 where he says, I think it was all a waste. Now he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire. My heart, my flesh, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is the rock of my heart. The enemy of your soul would love nothing more than to end your life at verse 16. When I tried to understand all of this, I was deeply troubled. The enemy of your soul would love to leave and end your life at verse 16. But God wants to take you past that into the loving arms of God because it's there where you will meet him. I was thinking about the hymn of On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand and then there's that line that says when darkness hides his lovely face I rest in his unchanging grace. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Some people are proud of the fact that they're doubters. I'm a doubter. You know, I I want to answer. I'm a doubter. I think it's time to start doubting your doubts. You're such a doubter, then doubt the very doubts that you have and start to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. And when you go to him, he's never going to turn his back on you. He did that once, and he did that to Jesus on the cross so that you and I would never have to experience that. God will not, when you come to him, no matter where you're at, he will not turn his back on you. It's time, isn't it, to doubt your doubts and put your trust in Jesus. And isn't it time you re-engage your pursuit of God to passionately pursue who God is in your life? You may not find all the answers, but you will make sense of it all in the presence of God. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the honesty of the Bible that allows for uncertainty and doubt. And thank you, Father, that today of the journey of this psalmist from doubt and uncertainty to strength and hope and faith, all because he entered the presence of God where he found that his rock and his portion was sure and stable. May that be our experience as well in the midst of all that we have gone through. 
may we find that God is the strength and the rock of our heart. I pray this for the glory of God and the reputation of Jesus. Amen.